This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of posterolateral corner injury from the knee and sports section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Posterolateral corner injuries are traumatic knee injuries that are associated with lateral knee instability and usually present with a concomitant cruciate ligament injury that is PCL more common than ACL. Diagnosis can be suspected with a knee effusion and a positive dial test, but MRI studies are required for confirmation. Treatment is generally operative reconstruction of the posterolateral corner complex and the associated ligamentous injuries when present. Now, let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology and incidence of posterolateral corner injury, approximately 7-16% to of knee ligament injuries are to the posterolateral ligamentous complex. And note that only 28% of all posterolateral corner injuries are isolated. They are usually combined with cruciate ligament injury, again the PCL more common than the ACL. Know that a missed posterolateral corner injury diagnosis is a common cause of ACL reconstruction failure. Moving on to the etiology of posterolateral corner injury, mechanisms include blow to the anteromedial knee, a varus blow to a flex knee, contact and non-contact hyperextension injuries, external rotation twisting injury, and knee dislocation. Associated injuries include common perineal nerve injury, which occurs in 15-29% to 29% of cases, and vascular injury. Now let's talk about some relevant anatomy. We'll specifically talk about the posterolateral corner structures, the function of the posterolateral corner, we'll go over certain definitions, and review the lateral structures of the knee by layer. With respect to the posterolateral corner structures, there are three major static stabilizers of the lateral knee. The lateral collateral ligament, or LCL, the popliteus tendon, and the popliteofibular ligament. With respect to the lateral collateral ligament, this is the most anterior structure inserting on the fibular head, and is also the primary varus stabilizer of the knee. With respect to the popliteofibular ligament, this originates at the musculotendinous junction of the popliteus and has anterior as well as posterior divisions. Other static stabilizers include lateral capsule thickening, the arcuate ligament, which is variable, and the fibellofibular ligament, which is also variable. Lateral capsule thickening specifically involves the meniscofemoral and meniscotibial ligaments. Dynamic structures include the biceps femoris, the popliteus muscle, the iliotibial band, as well as the lateral head of the gastrocnemius. Remember that the biceps femoris inserts on the posterior aspect of the fibula posterior to the LCL. With respect to the function of the posterolateral corner, the popliteus works synergistically with the PCL to control external tibial rotation, varus, and posterior tibial translation. The popliteus and popliteofibular ligament function maximally in knee flexion to resist external rotation. Again, the popliteus and popliteofibular ligament function maximally in knee flexion to resist external rotation. And the LCL is the primary restraint to varus stress at 5 degrees and 25 degrees of knee flexion. This is the case in 55% and 69% of patients, respectively. Now, to quickly go over some definitions, the arcuate complex includes the static stabilizers, which include the LCL, the arcuate ligament, and the popliteus tendon. Now, let's quickly go over the lateral structures of the knee by layer, and the lateral structures are divided into three layers. Layer 1 contains the iliotibial tract and the biceps femoris. Remember that the common perineal nerve lies between layer 1 and layer 2. Layer 2 contains the patellaretinaculum and the patellofemoral ligament. Layer 3 is divided into a superficial layer and a deep layer. The superficial layer of layer 3 contains the LCL and the fibellofibular ligament. 
Remember that the lateral geniculate artery runs between the deep and superficial layer. The deep portion of layer 3 contains the arcuate ligament, the coronary ligament, the popliteus tendon, popliteal fibular ligament, and the capsule. With respect to the classification of posterior lateral corner injuries, the one to know is the modified Houston classification, and this is divided into three grades. Grade 1 is 0 to 5 millimeters of lateral opening on varus stress, 0 to 5 degrees of rotational instability on the dial test, and this typically corresponds to a sprain and no tensile failure of the capsulo-ligamentous structures. Grade 2 corresponds to 6 to 10 millimeters of lateral opening on varus stress, 6 degrees to 10 degrees of rotational instability on the dial test, and this typically manifests as partial injuries with moderate ligament disruption. Finally, grade 3 corresponds to greater than 10 millimeters of lateral opening on varus stress with no endpoint. It also corresponds to greater than 10 degrees of rotational instability on the dial test with no endpoint, and this manifests as a complete ligament disruption. With respect to the presentation of a posterior lateral corner injury, patients often have instability symptoms when the knee is in full extension. Specifically, they'll have difficulty with reciprocating stairs, pivoting, and cutting. Physical exam should include a gait exam, varus stress, a dial test, an external rotation recurvatum test, posterior lateral drawer test, a reverse pivot shift test, and assessment of the perineal nerve. Gait exam may reveal a standing varus alignment and a varus thrust or hyperextension thrust with ambulation. With respect to varus stress, varus laxity at zero degrees indicates both LCL and cruciate, whether ACL or PCL injury. Varus laxity at 30 degrees indicates an LCL injury. With respect to a dial test, greater than 10 degrees of external rotation asymmetry at 30 degrees only is consistent with an isolated posterior lateral corner injury. Greater than 10 degrees external rotation asymmetry at 30 degrees and 90 degrees is consistent with a posterior lateral corner and PCL injury. External rotation recurvatum is positive when the lower leg falls into external rotation and recurvatum when the leg is suspended by the toes in a supine patient. This is only identified in approximately 10% of posterior lateral corner injuries and is more consistent with a combined ACL and posterior lateral corner injury. A posterior lateral drawer test is performed with the hip flexed 45 degrees, the knee flexed 80 degrees, and the foot is externally rotated 15 degrees. A combined posterior drawer and external rotation force is then applied to the knee to assess for an increase in posterior lateral translation. This will cause the lateral tibia to externally rotate relative to the lateral femoral condyle. In a reverse pivot shift test, the knee is positioned at 90 degrees and external rotation and valgus force is applied to the tibia. As the knee is extended, the tibia reduces with a palpable clunk. The tibia reduces from a posterior subluxated position at approximately 20 degrees of flexion to a reduced position in full extension. This is due to the reduction force from the IT band transitioning from a flexor to an extensor of the knee. Finally, with respect to a perineal nerve injury, this may manifest as altered sensation to the dorsum of the foot and weak ankle dorsiflexion. Approximately 25% of patients have perineal nerve dysfunction in the setting of a posterior lateral corner injury. With respect to imaging, on radiographs you may see an avulsion fracture of the fibula, otherwise known as an arcuate fracture, or an avulsion fracture of the femoral condyle. Other radiographs to obtain in the setting of a suspected posterior lateral corner injury are stress radiographs and long leg standing radiographs to evaluate alignment. Stress radiographs involve bilateral varus stress x-rays in 20 degrees of flexion. When there is a side-to-side -side difference of 2.7 to 4 millimeters, 
This suggests an isolated LCL tear. When there is a side-to-side -side difference of greater than 4 millimeters, this suggests a posterior lateral corner injury. Again, when there is a side-to-side -side difference of greater than 4 millimeters, this suggests a posterior lateral corner injury. Long leg standing radiographs to evaluate alignment is required in cases of chronic posterior lateral corner injury. This should be done to evaluate for triple varus alignment. Remember that primary varus equals tibiofemoral malalignment, secondary varus equals LCL deficiency with increased lateral opening, and triple varus suggests that the remaining posterior lateral corner is deficient and there is overall varus recurvatum alignment. A long leg standing radiograph is necessary to determine the mechanical axis and if a proximal tibial osteotomy is necessary for correction. An MRI should be done to look for injury to the lateral collateral ligament, popliteus, and biceps tendon. In an acute injury, you may see bone bruising of the medial femoral condyle and medial tibial plateau. A coronal oblique thin slice through the fibular head is best at visualizing the posterior lateral corner structures. Treatment for a posterior lateral corner injury can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes knee immobilization in full extension for four weeks, then rehabilitation. This is indicated in grade 1 posterior lateral corner injury, as well as isolated mid-substance grade 2 injuries. Non-operative management should include a hinged knee brace locked in extension for four weeks, followed by progressive functional rehabilitation, quad strengthening, and return to sports should be expected in eight weeks. Operative options include a posterior lateral corner repair, posterior lateral corner hybrid reconstruction and repair, posterior lateral reconstruction plus or minus an ACL reconstruction plus or minus a PCL reconstruction plus or minus a high tibial osteotomy. With respect to a posterior lateral corner repair, this is indicated in isolated acute grade 2 posterior lateral corner avulsion injuries. Keep in mind that a mid-substance repair has a 40% failure rate following repair. With respect to the techniques in this option, repair of the LCL, popliteus tendon, and or popliteofibular ligament should be performed if structures can be anatomically reduced to their attachment site. Otherwise, you should perform a reconstruction. You can augment the posterior lateral corner repair with a free graft if the repair is tenuous. An avulsion fracture of the fibular head can be treated with screws or suture anchors. With respect to a posterior lateral corner hybrid reconstruction and repair, this is indicated for grade 3 mid-substance injuries and avulsion injuries where the repair is not possible or the tissue is poor quality. With respect to techniques, the goal is to reconstruct the LCL and the popliteofibular ligament using a free tendon graft that is either a semitendinosis or Achilles. With a fibular-based reconstruction or a Larsen technique, soft tissue graft is passed through a bone tunnel in the fibular head. The limbs are then crossed to create a figure of eight and then fixed to the lateral femur to a single tunnel. In a transtibial double bundle reconstruction, you will use a split Achilles tendon graft and this is fixed to the isometric point of the femoral epicondyle. With this option, there will be one tibia-based limb and one fibula-based limb. The fibula limb is fixed to the fibular head with a bone tunnel and transosseous sutures to reconstruct the LCL. The tibia limb is brought through the posterior tibia to reconstruct the popliteofibular ligament. The Laprade anatomic reconstruction involves two soft tissue grafts. Graft number one reconstructs the LCL and the popliteofibular ligament. This reconstruction will involve the proximal attachment site at the anatomic femoral LCL attachment, then through the fibular head lateral to medial, then docking into the tibial tunnel posterior to anterior with graft number two. Graft number two reconstructs the popliteus tendon. 
This involves the proximal attachment site at the anatomic popliteus tendon attachment and then docking into the tibial tunnel posterior to anterior with graft number one. Rehabilitation for a posterior lateral corner hybrid reconstruction and repair involves a hinged knee brace and non-weight bearing for six weeks. Range of motion protocols differ between surgeons. Some advocate for passive range of motion immediately 0 to 90 degrees, and others immobilize for two weeks, then begin motion. At six weeks, you will begin weight-bearing and close chain strengthening. You will return to activity slash sports in approximately six to nine months. With respect to outcomes, operative treatment has improved outcomes compared to non-operative treatment. However, keep in mind that repair has higher failure rate than reconstruction. This is particularly true for mid-substance injuries, but also for soft tissue avulsions. There's also improved outcomes with early treatment, and remember that anatomic reconstruction restores rotatory stability, but not all varus stability on stress testing. Finally, with respect to a posterior lateral corner reconstruction, plus or minus an ACL reconstruction, plus or minus a PCL reconstruction, plus or minus a high tibial osteotomy, this is indicated for acute and chronic combined ligament injuries. With respect to the technique, a posterior lateral corner reconstruction should be performed at the same time or prior to, in the case of a stage procedure, an ACL or PCL reconstruction to prevent early cruciate failure. A valgus high tibial osteotomy is indicated in patients with varus mechanical alignment. Failure to correct bony alignment jeopardizes ACL and posterior lateral corner reconstruction success. With respect to rehabilitation in this option, Postoperatively, you will immobilize the patient and make them protected weight-bearing for four weeks. Long leg casts may control leg external rotation better than a brace. You will then begin passive range of motion at four weeks to avoid arthrofibrosis. Again, you will begin passive range of motion at four weeks to avoid arthrofibrosis. You will also avoid active hamstring exercises as they will stress the posterior lateral corner. Again, avoid active hamstring exercises as they will stress the posterior lateral corner full active extension will be allowed. With respect to outcomes, reconstructions have less revision rates and better outcome scores than ligament repair. Again, reconstructions have less revision rates and better outcome scores than ligament repair. In the setting of an ACL reconstruction plus a posterior lateral corner repair, 33% achieved IKDC grades of A or B compared to 88% of patients who underwent ACL plus posterior lateral corner reconstruction. Some surgical complications to note include arthrofibrosis, a missed posterior lateral corner injury, and a perineal nerve injury, which can be seen in 15 to 29% of patients. With respect to missed posterior lateral corner injury, failure to identify a posterior lateral corner injury will lead to failure of ACL or PCL reconstruction. Okay. okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. First question. A 37-year-old male presents with continued knee pain and instability six months status post combined ACL and PCL reconstruction after a traumatic knee injury. On physical exam, his ACL and PCL are intact. However, he is noted clinically to have grade 3 posterior lateral corner laxity and varus malalignment of his knee. What is the next most appropriate step in management? And the choices are 1. Obtain long leg alignment films for pre-op planning. 2. Fibular base posterior lateral corner reconstruction. 3. A combined tibial-fibular-based posterolateral corner reconstruction. 4. Physical therapy with closed-chain quadriceps exercises and avoidance of active hamstring exercises. And 5. Dynamic functional knee bracing.
The correct answer to this question is 1. Obtain long-leg alignment films for pre-op planning. So the first goal in treatment of this patient is to determine if his varus is primary or secondary, which can be accomplished by obtaining long-leg alignment films. In the setting of primary varus malalignment, a proximal tibial medial opening wedge osteotomy should be completed prior to any attempted posterior lateral corner reconstruction. Any posterior lateral corner reconstruction in the setting of untreated varus malalignment will have a higher failure rate as a result of increased forces across the reconstruction. Grade 3 posterior lateral corner injuries, even if chronic, will typically not benefit from physical therapy or dynamic bracing. Harner et al. evaluated PCL reconstruction in cadaver knees with and without a simulated posterior lateral corner injury. Reconstructing the PCL without addressing the posterior lateral corner resulted in greater posterior tibial translation, external rotation, and in-situ graft forces than those obtained for PCL reconstruction in knees with an intact posterior lateral corner. Laprade et al. measured the force on a reconstructed PCL graft during joint loading with otherwise intact structures, and then measured again after selectively cutting the components of the posterolateral corner. They concluded untreated grade 3 posterolateral corner injuries contribute to a significant increase in force on the PCL reconstruction graft. Moving on to the next question. A 25-year-old male injured his left knee in a motorcycle accident. During examination, he is noted to have a positive reverse pivot shift test and a negative posterior drawer. What other examination finding is this patient expected to have? And the choices are 1. Positive anterior drawer test. 2. Increased opening to valgus stress at 30 degrees of knee flexion. 3. Positive apprehension sign with lateral patellar translation. 4. A 10 degree increased external tibial rotation at 30 degrees of knee flexion. And 5. A 10 degree increased external tibial rotation at 90 degrees of knee flexion. The correct answer to this question is for a 10-degree increased external tibial rotation at 30 degrees of knee flexion. So a positive dial test at 30 degrees of knee flexion would be expected in this patient with a posterior lateral corner injury. The test is positive when there is greater than a 10 to 15 degree difference compared to the uninjured side. A positive dial test at 30 degrees alone indicates an isolated posterior lateral corner injury, whereas a positive dial test at 30 and 90 degrees indicates a combined posterior lateral corner and PCL injury. A posterior lateral corner injury should be suspected based on the given exam findings of a positive reverse pivot shift and a negative posterior drawer. This indicates an injury to the posterior lateral corner, but not the posterior cruciate ligament. Laprade et al. prospectively evaluated patients with posterior lateral injury to the knee and found that the reverse pivot shift test was significantly associated with injury to the LCL, popliteal components, and mid-third lateral capsular ligament. They also noted a significant correlation between injury of the lateral collateral ligament with an increase in external tibial rotation at 30 degrees of knee flexion, otherwise known as the dial test. Golhan et al. biomechanically demonstrated a 20-degree increase in external rotation with the knee at 30 degrees of flexion after sectioning the lateral collateral ligament. And moving on to the final question. Which of the following best describes the anatomic relationships of the lateral collateral ligament in the posterior lateral corner? And the choices are 1. Inserts directly anterior to the popliteofibular ligament on the fibula and courses deep to the popliteus. 2. Inserts anterolaterally to the popliteofibular ligament on the fibula and courses superficial to the popliteus. 3. Inserts posteromedially to the popliteofibular ligament on the fibula and courses deep to the popliteus. 4. Inserts directly posterior to the popliteofibular ligament on the fibula and courses superficial to the popliteus. 
and five inserts posterior and distal to the biceps femoris tendon on the fibula and courses superficial to the popliteus. The correct answer to this question is two inserts anterolaterally to the popliteofibular ligament on the fibula and courses superficial to the popliteus. So the lateral collateral ligament originates on the lateral femoral condyle proximal to the insertion of the popliteus, runs superficial to the popliteus, and inserts anterolaterally to the popliteofibular ligament on the fibula. The posterolateral corner of the knee has received much attention as a restraint to control external rotation and posterior translation of the tibia in conjunction with the PCL. Injuries to the posterolateral corner rarely occur in isolation, less than 5% of the time. Laprade et al. performed anatomic dissections on 10 cadavers and provided detailed description of the anatomic attachments of the anatomic attachments of the posterolateral corner components with the goal of helping guide surgeons performing anatomic reconstructions of an injured posterolateral corner. They found the lateral collateral ligament was the most anterior structure inserting on the fibular head. Stannard et al. found the initial success rates of direct repair of the posterolateral corner were significantly inferior to early reconstruction. That's all for this review about posterolateral corner injury. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.